want to greet you again in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A little different <clears throat> being in front of a skinny podium. You can maybe see my knees jiggle a little bit and get to see my Bible all decorated up. And um, It is good to be together, and I, I do want to thank you for your gifts, as Matt said, um, just your the cards, encouragement, not just yeah, this past weekend, but I know I can feel your prayers as we go through uh, just the season where we find ourselves and then starting a new church and, and um, just the, the changes that are involved, uh, kind of a, a lot of the, the decisions that need to be made, and, and I just ask for your continued prayer on us as a ministry is, is yeah, the, the responsibilities are many, and we are spread a little thin <laughs> so it's um, but it's been good the Lord's been faithful to us this morning I um, as I was pondering what to what to share with you I was kind of going through our um, discipline booklet and I uh, just just to, something to, to jog my mind and I, I came across just a little section in there um, about swearing and taking oaths. Now, the swearing I'm talking about is not taking the Lord's name in vain. And we don't run into the, the thing of our judicial system. And, and I know some of you have maybe gotten a letter in the mail that, that you um, are called for jury duty and you have to, to go through and fill out a paper and, and submit it. But our judicial system... Um, is set up that, that we are um, basically to take an, an oath or to affirm. So I, I want to go through that a little bit, uh, kind of more informational, but just go through the scriptures um, and uh, kind of see where we're at on that, where the church is at on that. And also with that, um, just our basically our trustworthiness, our, our honesty, in um, speaking the truth, and that's kind of the challenge that the Lord laid upon my heart uh, here this morning. Um, in the Old Testament, the, the oath, or taking an oath, basically means a commitment. And usually a commitment is, is attached to holding, you, you hold somebody accountable to something higher than, than what you are. So someone takes an oath, it's usually an oath to God that if you um, don't follow through with the oath, there would be a punishment. You are accountable to God. Um, Psalms 105, 8 to 10, you don't have to turn there, but basically God uh, reinforced his covenant, and he did say his oath to, uh, to Abraham, to Isaac, uh, and to Jacob through the generations. So, so covenant and oath kind of go uh, together there. Um, and I think whenever Abraham or Abram was called out into another land, um, that covenant was a comfort to him, that God actually had a covenant with uh, Abraham to lead him and his family and the generations to come. So when the going got tough, I think Abram remembered uh, 
God's covenant. If you have your Bibles, I um, want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 24. just want to look at a few examples just to get our, our mind wrapped around the, the idea of, of an oath and how the oath was followed through. And, and here again, I'm going to look at the Old Testament. But Genesis 24, we're going to look at Abram again and Abraham, and it was the end of Abraham's life. And um, Abraham was promised a son and, and promised that his seed would be as the sand of the seashore or the stars of the sky. Just had um, one problem. He had a son, but the son didn't have a wife. So this was something that Abraham in his later days um, was talking to his servant. So Genesis 24 uh, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 9 to give us an idea of this oath. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites amongst whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring my son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that 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 thou not sorry, beware that thou that thou bring not my son hither again. That's a tongue twister. Verse seven. And the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, can that swear unto me? saying unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master, and swear to him concerning that matter. And then if you just look at verse 37 there, basically the servant is explaining to, uh, to the people what he was doing and why he was sent. And then verse 37, And my master made me swear, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife from my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. Um, here he picked out the word, made me swear, and that's, um, so that's part of the, the oath, the covenant, swearing by, um, by a higher power, higher being. So this seems a little strange in our, in our age that you would actually have a ritual where you put your hand under somebody's thigh and, and make an oath and make a covenant and, and swear um, by God that this is what you're going to do. And if he didn't do it, he's going to be accountable to God. As we looked at um, Saul and, and David, 
Saul, is, if you remember, in 1 Samuel 14, I'm not going to take the time to, to turn there, but Saul, they were in an army, and, and the battle was, it was getting fierce, and, and Saul made an oath that his army was not supposed to eat until they basically um, would have finished their responsibilities. And Jonathan didn't hear about that. Uh, Jonathan was out in the woods, and there was honey, and he dipped the end of his, his staff into the, the honey and tasted it, and his eyes brightened. Um, well, at the end of the day, uh, the, basically the men were famished, uh, fell upon all the animals and started eating them with the blood in it, and things were not looking good. And then Saul basically said, okay, we're going to go out and we're going to uh, basically continue on. And there was a priest that came to, to Saul and said, we should inquire of the Lord. So just, just a little check there for Saul, this is what we should do. So Saul was okay with that. Um, basically, they did not hear from the Lord. They didn't get a word from the Lord. And this concerned Saul, so he knew that there was sin in the camp. What well, came down to Saul's son, Jonathan. And um, so God did recognize this oath, this, this vow that uh, Saul made. And it, as you probably all know, um, Jonathan did taste the honey he ate, and the lot found him out. Saul was ready to kill his son because basically the oath that was taken was the person that ate before the responsibility was finished. It was death. And this is the Old Testament as we were kind of going over the, this morning, um, you know, life for life. And Saul was willing to take this oath to the furthest extent and kill his son the one that was leading the battle in the first place. The people basically put a stop to it, said, hey, Jonathan didn't know anything about this. But that, that oath that was taken here in the Old Testament um, was meant life. In Nehemiah, uh, there again, there's, there's a couple examples. Um, maybe we'll just turn there just to make sure you understand what the oath is. Nehemiah chapter 5. Um, the Jewish people here were basically starving um, because the, 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 the system amongst their own people was corrupt. Um, there was very rich people, very uh, powerful political people that were taking advantage of, of the poor people. And um, so Nehemiah got in there, uh, straightened things out, and I'm just going to to note Nehemiah 5, verse 12 and 13 here, and the people's response, Nehemiah's response to that and how Nehemiah took care of that situation. So Nehemiah 5, 12 and 13. And they said, and this is basically the ones that have oppressed the poor talking, and they said, we will restore them and will require nothing of you so will we do as they sayest. Then I called the priest and took an oath with them that they should do according to this promise. Also, I shook my lap and said, So God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise. Even thou be shaken out and emptied. 
And all the congregation said, Amen. And praised the Lord, and the people did according to this promise. So here we see the people kind of making a verbal agreement that this is what they were going to do. But Nehemiah said, no, we're going to make an oath. We're going to make a covenant before God that this is what you do. And he actually shook the folds of his apron um, just to signify that if they did not follow through with this oath, that's going to be the response. They're basically going to be excommunicated um, and dealt with. So there was a, an oath accountable to God and a punishment with that oath. Um, again, in Nehemiah 10, um, it, Nehemiah again had to basically make it a point to bring these people down to, okay, we need to make a covenant here. We need to make an oath. And he did that with them, made them sign uh, different things and put their seal on it. So all the people entered into, and it says a curse and an oath. So this is uh, looked at as, as a huge um, punishment if they do not follow through with this oath. So with oath comes the punishment that goes with it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. And this... Um, is in the New Testament. This is Peter. And um, Peter here, uh, when he was basically put under the pressure, this is at Jesus' trial. You can kind of see a progression going on here. Matthew 26, um, verse 69, towards the end of the chapter there. just going to read it for you. And, and try to pick out the progression as uh, Peter's words were being questioned whether or not he was telling the truth. Um, just listen to, to the response of Peter and then the emotions that kept growing with, with this. Uh, starting to read to verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. It was the first time he denied him. 71. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that was there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied Notice this, with an oath. I do not know the man. 73. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bewrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crew, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Just going to read that. Um, thinking through that, 
with Peter, and and I know the the emotions and everything were were there, and I don't know if Peter Peter was even thinking straight. Um, but when Peter made an oath, when he was swearing to something, usually you swear and make an oath to someone higher. Was he doing it to God? Because he's doing it to God, the Son of Man. Son of God actually told him that he was going to deny him. That kind of shows the turmoil in, in Peter. Um, swearing to a higher being, swearing to God that he's telling the truth when he knows that God is <laughs> already knows that he's not telling the truth. I you could just you could just see why Peter went out and, and wept bitterly. But this oath, this, this swearing um, is done here, and, and you can see the progression, and that's why I, why I brought it out there, not necessarily to condemn Peter, but just to see as the, as the situation um, basically gets more intense, the, the oath is put in place. So why, why the need for the extra confirmation of the oaths and the swearings and all these signs, putting your hand under the thigh and shaking the folds, and is that is it necessary? Um, you know, in the Old Testament, as we said before, we're living in a time of the law, and it was eye for eye, it was tooth for tooth, it was life for life, and that punishment was there. In the courtrooms, and I've never been in a courtroom, um, kind of, yeah, would have, actually, it's telling on me, years ago, I probably would have seen on television that the courtroom, there used to be a, a show, <laughs> and I know I'm talking to Mennonites here, and you're going to tune me out from here on out, um, but in a courtroom, basically, you have your judge, which is, you call your honor, um, and then this is your honor, but you, in a courtroom, a witness are asked to either give an oath or affirm. And um, the oath is, um, I do solemnly swear that the evidence that I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And I, from what I understand, they don't always add, so help me God on the end anymore. But you do solemnly swear that you're telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So who are you swearing to? Probably to God. Then that would be um, the so help me God would make sense. Now we uh, do live in a country that recognizes our conscientious position on those who cannot consistently take the oath and allow them to take an affirmation instead. So if you're in a situation like that, they ask you to take an oath, um, we actually say we affirm instead of take the oath. Um, and the, the affirmation is I solemnly affirm that the evidence that I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So if you kind of see the difference there, you're not swearing, um, but you're affirming to that. Um, and when you, you're giving an oath, the declaration of I do solemnly swear, 
usually the, the uplifted right hand, and years ago they used to put their left hand on the Bible just to signify even more of, of a weight on that responsibility, on that decision. Um, so we do live in a country that respects our position, that we affirm instead of taking the oath. The, just a note with putting your left hand on the Bible, Roman theory has it that, that there was a, a main blood vein running through your left hand going straight to your heart, so that even put even more importance if you put your left hand on the Bible. Um, anyway, so it, it just shows the importance that they, that they put on it, um, whether it's sacrilegious or not, I don't know. That's, so we do affirm instead of um, taking an oath there. When I was a, a child, and maybe you, you hear the little term, um, if someone's going to keep a, a promise, so you, you see two children talking together, well, how do I know you're going to keep a promise? How do I know you're going to say the truth? Well, there's all kinds of little sayings. Um, the one that you know, I came across, and I remember whenever I was younger, as I, I crossed my heart and hope to die and stick a needle in my eye, you know, it's just, you have to do something to make it sound a little bit like you're, you know what you're talking about. Um, but do we need to use that fancy wording, the strong language, to convince someone that we are trustworthy? Um, just something to think about. Um, are we honest people? Are we trustworthy people? Shouldn't our consistent, godly lifestyle give proof every day as evidence that we are trustworthy? Our motivation to follow Christ is not based on the fear of punishment, but our love for him. And that's the change we see in the New Testament. Truth is the essence of Christianity and the truth will set us free. We now live in the New Testament era of this grace and truth because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and that's different than what they did, that what they had back in the Old Testament. The New Testament forbids the use of swearing to a higher power and the oaths but states our communication shall be yay, yay, and nay, nay. And I'm going to point out two scriptures um, that would bring this out. So if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, this is where we see Jesus' command not to, not to take an oath, not to swear um, to a higher being to prove that you are telling the truth. Matthew 5, actually it's um, verse 33 to 37, and as Phil Shry would have brought out earlier, we have in here, um, looking back at the, the Old Testament, and um, basically it starts, again you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, so it takes us back and just refreshes our mind. This is verse 33, Matthew chapter 5. 
Again, you have heard that it has been said of them at old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, neither by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shall thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Stop reading there. So simple. Just let your yay, yay, nay, nay, and don't have to worry about the hand under the thigh and, and all these rituals. As we think about that, let our yay, yay, yay be yay, and our, our nay be nay. And then James 5.12, you don't have to turn there, but basically he reinforces this. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven nor by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay. And he adds, lest ye fall into condemnation. So at the end of that, um, there's a little warning there. Lest you fall into condemnation. Lest you follow something that's evil. Uh, if you don't let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Trustworthy in our conversations, in our commitments. This is where it really hits home. Um, so it, it goes beyond just the courtroom setting, which I, I don't know if any of us actually found ourselves there and needing to, to be a witness and then swearing an oath. And I hope my information's accurate because I was never there, but it, it's, um, and then in affirming but what does it mean by letting our yay be yay and our nay nay? I just put down, say what you mean, and mean what you say every time. <laughs> That's hard to do too. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and I would add do it with love. This isn't just lay it out there. Um, let your yay be yay, let your nay be nay. What comes out of our mouth, or what we lead others to believe is the truth, should agree with what's in our heart. What comes out of our mouth, or what we lead others to believe is the truth, should be what we believe in our hearts. Now, we need a check there. Are we just free to go around just saying our own thing, doing our own opinion? Let's come back to the Word of God in our hearts that we know the Word of God. Jeremiah 17.10 said, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So why is condemnation and evil associated with not letting our yes be yes and our no be no? In Proverbs 6, again, I know I'm throwing a lot of verses out there. Proverbs 6, 
uh, talks about six or it says seven things that the Lord hates. Um, and I had to think through down through this list, and you could probably build a sermon on this list. But God hates a proud look. God hates a lying tongue. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. God hates a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. God hates feet that swift to run into mischief. God hates false witness that speak lies. And God hates he that sows discord among the brethren. So if God hates it, probably should be attached to evil. Lying tongue. False witnesses that speak lies are the two that I pulled out there. As we see, and I'm not going to take the time to read this either, um, in Acts chapter 5, and Ananias and Sapphira, and the story there when, when the apostles were bringing the money to the disciples and selling lands, um, you know, Ananias was asked the question, should just read it um, but basically saying that he did something he spoke these words to the to the apostles that he did one thing he sold his land and brought all of the money now he actually kept some money back but he told the disciples and um, Peter challenged them you know why do you test the Holy Ghost why do you test the Holy Spirit so he was saying one thing doing something different actually he was killed for it God smote him his wife came in they asked her the same question did you do such and such she said yes which is the same answer Ananias did and she was killed um, they were not telling the truth they were telling lies but leading men and leading God to believe that they were telling the truth. Satan filled Hananias' heart, and he lied to the Holy Ghost. If we're not honest with ourselves and with others, we pattern ourselves after the evil one. I have down here John 8, 44. I'll just read it to you. John 8, 44, and Jesus is talking to the, the Jewish leaders here. It says, you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you, do, you will do. He is a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Pretty strong language there, but basically talking about lying, deceit, that Satan is the father of lies. Proverbs 14.5, a faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A lot of different scriptures we can turn to as far as looking at uh, honesty, looking at living godly lives. You have the advantage. You could see the clock. 
we now, living in the New Testament, have God's law written on our hearts. Hebrews chapter 10. Why don't we turn there just to keep you focused here. Hebrews chapter 10 makes this pretty clear. Hebrews 10, 14, and there are so many good scriptures, like I said. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And this would be talking about Jesus. Verse 14 again, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's talking about you and I, if we... Um, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ we are sanctified whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us for after that he had said before this is the covenant with I will make with them after those days saith the Lord I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more so here we see in the New Testament um, the grace, the truth, as we think of God, um, we think of the love that he showed to each one of us in our sanctification, our, our holy lives, living for him in true sincerity, in, in true truth with the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us hopefully we don't think of God as just some authority up there with a big stick and every time you basically sin or, or break a, a promise or, or anything he, he's just ready to whap you over the head and that's what I think of with a, with an oath um, you think of God as just someone up there ready to, to punish and don't get me wrong, if, if we do stray from the truth and, and turn our backs on him, we are going to face judgment. But do we think of God as, as a gracious God? And there are sins and iniquities we'll remember no more if we follow him, seek his forgiveness. Romans 12, 17 to 19 I'll just read these. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of men. If it be possible, as such as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So, the honesty, the integrity, letting our yea be yea and our nay nay. This basically plays into um, telling the truth in a, in a courtroom. What about our our commitments? Um, yeah, do we are we trustworthy? just thought of a, a little 
parable here in Matthew chapter 21, if you want to turn there. And I'm not sure if this totally fits in there, but the parable of, of two sons, Matthew 21, 28 to 32. And again, we're kind of thinking of commitments, following through with our commitments, living in integrity. Matthew 21, starting to read in verse 28. But what think you? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Don't miss that. The question Jesus asked there in 31, whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him, the first, Jesus saith unto them, verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. And John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. I think I want to pull out of that, if we look at the two sons, question I have, is it better to overcommit and not follow through than realize that you might need to set boundaries and then be able to follow through with that later on if you are able. And like I said, this, this almost gets so complicated, my, <laughs> my mind was all over the place. Is it better to overcommit and not be able to follow through than to set boundaries and then add more on later if you see you can? I think there's a ditch on either side. Um, and I've ran into some people that never commit to anything. Um, try to get them involved, try to get them to, to do things and, and it's just absolutely nothing. And, and sometimes they, they do end up coming back and, and doing some things, but most times they don't. Um, and then there's others that you need something done and yep, I'll be there tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and goes and then don't hear anything and the next day goes and then you, you meet a certain person on the street and and actually they, they, they forgot about it. Um, so yep, they're going to do it again and you know, how often do they do that that you don't believe them anymore? Um, it's good to commit to something. We need laborers in the vineyard. Um, like I said, there's a ditch on either side. James 4, 13 through 17, and again, I'll just read it if you want to make a note there. It's a pretty familiar passage. James 4, 13 through 17 says, Go to now. Ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. 
For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's where it comes into the priorities. Um, what do we fill our time with? What do we fill our commitments with? Sometimes we do need to say no uh, to some things if we know what we need to do. Came across a, a story and I knew there was some children here talking about honesty, talking about telling the truth about a, a preacher. A dog once wandered into a preacher's home. This was a stray dog that came wandering around. And his three sons played with it. They fed it and soon became quite fond of it. It so happened that the dog had three white hairs in its tail. One day, the preacher and his son spotted an advertisement in the city newspaper about the lost dog. The description of the stray they had taken matched perfectly with this. The minister later said, in the presence of my three boys, we carefully separated the three white hairs and removed them out of the dog's tail. The real owner of the dog eventually discovered where his stray pooch had gone and come to claim him. The dog showed every sign of recognizing his owner, so the man was ready to take him away. At that point, the minister spoke up and said, um, didn't you say the dog would be known by the three white hairs in its tail? The owner, unable to find the identifying feature, was forced to admit that this dog didn't fully fit the description of his lost dog, and he had to leave. Years passed, and the minister noted with sadness, we kept the dog, but I lost my three boys for Christ that day. His sons no longer had the confidence in what their father professed to be true. Remember, your children watch your choices you make in all areas of your life and base their opinion of you on them. Just urges us to be a person of integrity, one they will admire. In a little devotional book, the little quote that's with it is, no man ever really finds out what he believes in until he begins to instruct his children. <laughs> no man ever really finds out what he believes in until he begins to instruct his children. I, I thought that was pretty good. So where do we go? From here do we let our yay be nay and our nay nay how dependable are you how dependable am I when you give your word to do something can others always count on you to do it even when it's more difficult than what you expected or if you experience unexpected difficulties you just use them as excuses for not finishing the task. Do you pay your bills on time? 
What's that have to do with it? If you owe somebody money, um, try your best to, to pay that or, or work out an agreement with them. Um, stay current, stay honest. Do you graciously but firmly decline invitations that would distract you from fulfilling your responsibility, your God-given responsibility? There's many things out there that can distract us. Um, sometimes we do need to say no. If you are unable to keep an appointment or a commitment, do you communicate with the other party so that they're aware of the situation and they, they realize what's going on? Are we living honestly? Are we living in integrity? Um, I often, and this is going to point fingers right back at me, we often hear the phrase um, when we're in a conversation, you say, to be honest, and then you, you keep talking. Or if, if I can speak to you honestly, then, and then we keep talking. In our English language, that's pretty difficult to interpret because a lot of people do it. A lot of people say it. And like I said, I'm going to start right here. Um, someone that's learning the English language and listening to your conversation, and all of a sudden you say, I'm going to be honest with you, and then you tell them something. Something don't. Dutch word is for stay. <laughs> and I don't speak Dutch. I know that much. Um, anyway, I'm not... I don't want to, to even bring this out to condemn anybody that, that says it because I'm probably going to say it till the end of the sermon maybe. Um, think about it. Does that mean the rest of your conversation wasn't honest or you're not going to be honest? Usually if you say that phrase, well, if I can be honest with you, oftentimes people get their, their guards up because oftentimes it's negative. Uh, I can, and let me give you an illustration. If, if my wife comes to me and says, how do you like my dress? And I say, well, if I'm honest with you, <laughs> chances are she's going to cringe. I, I, I didn't do that. So, um, and it's good to be honest all the time. We, we don't need to say, um, to be honest with you, even though it, it's part of our everyday language. And I'm not, I was even hesitating to bringing this up. But when you, we're dealing with people that don't know who we are, um, oftentimes that phrase just, it'll, it'll kind of raise some, some uh, guards. Um, but basically what we're meaning by that is we just maybe want to get their attention. We want to maybe move a, a step closer in that relationship and then maybe go a little bit deeper, a little bit more personal um, and, and like I said, don't be offended by that. It's just when we use that phrase to someone that doesn't know us very well, it just it might cause a little bit of questions to go up. But um, another thing you could say is, is you know, actually in all sincerity, uh, to be fair, in all fairness, or just not say it at all. But anyway, that's not in the scripture. That's just as I was going down through. The sermon, um, I, it's amazing how many times and, and how I, I catch that. In, in a, and then what does that really mean? But anyway, so let our yes be yes and our no be no. In conclusion, I want to read for you um, 
Romans 13, which we kind of talked about this a little bit. Romans 13 talks about our response to, to authorities. Um, and I'm not going to take the time to read all that I have here, but I'm going to read 11 through 14. And if you want to turn there, that's fine. But I'll just read it for you. Romans 13, 11 through 14. And knowing, and that, knowing the time, that now is the high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the dark works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.